Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number 10 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. I've made it to 10 episodes. I'm legit now. Apparently, few podcasts make it to 10 episodes, so I'm on my way to proving that I'm in it for the long haul. I hope you are enjoying it so far, and I hope you also join me on the Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive Facebook group or my email list, and keep me posted on what you enjoy about the show, what you would like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, <laughs> and any other suggestions. Love to hear from you. My guest today is dancer-choreographer Lisa Ogeest. She's a classically trained dancer who specializes in everything from ballet to hip-hop, Latin to breakdance, and everything in between. She was a finalist on the first season of So You Think You Can Dance Canada and has a growing list of TV and film credits, including Shall We Dance, Silent Hill 2, and the recent TV remake of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. She's also danced in music videos for Katy Perry, Janelle Monet, Sean Desmond, and more. Lisa shares some of the lessons that she's learned from choreographers such as Luther Brown, Mia Michaels, and Kenny Ortega. She also has a lot of great advice of her own to share on how to navigate a career in the performing arts. I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. What are some of the career highlights that you've had? I would say to date would probably be Lion King so You Think You Can Dance, the Rocky Horror Picture Remake. I think those would be the most significant, I guess, for me. Obviously, there are others in between that had different, different significance uh, when it comes to growth and exposure. But this was probably the most um, public way of being recognized for my art. <laughs> and so when you were growing up, what drew you to dancing and performing? I personally don't know if I actually had a choice. Well, because I, I was three, but I know that I stayed in it because I loved it. That's for sure. I know that my mom used to do, she's from Dominica and they used to have uh, their beauty pageants and she used to sing in her beauty pageants. And my father, ironically, was a modern dancer at some point in his life. So I feel like it's partially genetic. I guess parents just love the arts anyway or loved anything extracurricular. To be real, I was involved in a lot of things. But yeah, the reason why I uh, stayed in it was the love of it. And what was your first training? Ballet. How long did you do ballet classes? And when did you transfer into other styles? Normally when you do um, competitives or studio, studio dancing um, or studio training, sorry, 
you normally start off with ballet and something else. Like it's either they'll do ballet and jazz or they'll do ballet and a tap. That's kind of how it works when you're like three to, I don't know, eight maybe even. And that's sort of how you start. And then if you continue dancing and you want to do more, that's when you just start adding on. So I would say I've done ballet for the longest. And then I went into to jazz, I'm pretty sure. Then it was tap and then it was acrobatics and hip hop was the very last. And then everything else started to branch off after I left the studio, which was after I was 18. When was it that you knew that you wanted to pursue this as a career? 14. Was there anything in particular that made you decide that? Yeah, two major things. I'm assuming that every teenager, especially when you have been so involved in something that heavy for a long time, like anybody who's involved in sports that are like real competitive sports, they understand that, like that, that commitment that you sort of miss out on or you feel anyway that you miss out on a lot of like school activities, birthday parties, things you can't go to because you have another commitment that you're going to, which you're happy to do, but it does take a toll every once in a while. So I was at that point in my life feeling like, I feel like I'm missing out on so much. I want to do this, but I don't know if dance is the right thing. What am I doing? Blah, 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 blah. That whole teenage angst nonsense. So (laughs) I feel like my teacher recognized my uh, restlessness and I guess inspired and pushed me to go to New York to take classes with an older generation of teachers. And by chance, I ended up going to uh, Broadway Dance Center at the time to take a class from Frank Hatchett. And he didn't end up being in, he wasn't in the studio. And the sub was Mia Michaels. This was before Mia Michaels, I think, was as well known as she is. And there was a first class with adults. Like that was an eye-opening thing for me to be in a class with 30-year-old men and women, all different shapes and sizes, all different walks. My eyes just, it was just literally like a, a kid in a candy store. I was like, what the heck is this? And it was so beautiful to witness and so intimidating at the exact same time that it was, that was that moment for me to be like, oh, my teacher got it. Like I got it. I understood why I needed to dance. Like it was that, that was that moment. I will never forget it. I remember the sweat on my body. I remember what I was wearing. I remember the people in the class that probably don't even know me. I don't even know their names, but it was, it was that vivid of a memory for me. Yeah. Coming back, coming back to Toronto after that was a really eye-opening feeling of a re-inspired uh, reason to train. So yeah. So it came, I came back with a, a new zest for it. And then The funny thing was, I think it was literally that same year, like I said, I was involved a lot and I was on my basketball team and I literally went up for a layup for the last thing. This girl was underneath me, went down, tore three ligaments, my ankle was out for four months solid, couldn't even walk. Oh no. Yeah. The universe is funny that way. Like, so it was like, it, it, it reinforced it even more because of the fact that I couldn't move. So I was like, oh, hell no, this is not going to be the way I'm going out, you know? Like, so it was, you know, sort of like a slap in the face with, you know, your ego being like, you're, you know what you, you know too much as a teenager. You think you know everything to be real when it comes to yourself and what you think is going to be the best route for you to go forward. That was kind of like an amazing, beautiful moment with both lessons at the same time. <laughs> And what was your, the first jobs or auditions? I would say what we call, we consider them uh, industrials, which are like a, a one-off gig. So if, let's say like a, a corporation, I don't know, any corporation, for example, like any of the banks that have like their 
their Christmas party or whatever. They have like an entertainment, they give away their awards for the year, you know, that kind of thing. So they have a portion of entertainment. And that was probably one of my first gigs. And I think I was 17. That was like one of my first real gigs, like getting, getting paid to just do one job to dance, you know, as opposed to my, I think my first real job was um, the J-Force, to be real, they, which was, they used to have like a dance team back in the day. It was the Blue Jays J-Force, but I was, again, roughly around the same age, 16, 17 years old, but that didn't last for very long, so. Right, and then from there was the first big break, The Lion King? No, actually, I went on cruise ships after that, so I, 18 to 20, 18 to 20, roughly, I was doing cruise ships, and then when I was 21, I got, to, or 20, 21, turning 21, I got to Lion King. And what was the audition process like? A lot of people. <laughs> My first big audition, I didn't come from a background of singing, so I um, had to find a vocal coach, knowing that I wanted to go in to do this audition, uh, find a song that was going to be easy enough and doable for me to sing, just for them to see that I can learn and be taught. <laughs> so you normally go in with dance first. They generally do dance first. Uh, there's a dance call. There's a, I think Charmaine, uh, who was the artistic director, I think at the time, was also running the audition. There's about, there was about a panel, I don't know, maybe of six or eight people on the panel watching learned a combination, had to do it in groups, then there were cuts made just based on the dance, then had to do it again, and then anybody who they wanted to see after was called to sing. So then you went in to sing, I think maybe about a week or so later, or maybe a little bit longer, I found out I got the job. Cool. And how long did that run? I, I did the last year of the cast and trust. So I think it was a four-year run before they started doing that uh, touring everywhere. I think it was, it was the fourth year I did. Cool. And then what, what did you do next? Uh, after that was So You Think, I think, but I went on another cruise ship afterwards. I did some stuff for Pan Am ceremonies. I did a couple of those, uh, the Pan Am Olympic ceremonies. Did a couple of gigs there. Did a lot of training in between, a lot of traveling. And then, then it was So You Think was the, the next big... Um, big thing that came to Canada. Yeah, and that was the first season you were on? That was right. I love that show so much. <laughs> I wish it was still in Canada. I know, it's too bad it wasn't. It was a, it was a hard, the first year I definitely, not to sound biased, but I definitely feel like the first year was definitely the hardest to get in there. And I feel like that's probably my my favorite accomplishment is because minus the like 18 year olds um, from maybe season three and four, Everybody who auditioned, auditioned the first year. So, like, it was a good, a good standard to know, like, within the, the constructs of a reality program, you know? Like, where you sat in the talent of how people audition. It's not even just to say that that's the only talent, but it's also an also, it's, sorry, it's also a skill to audition. You know, it's not always just about the talent. And like, we, like I said, it's a reality program, so it was half of it was casting, right? So, What was the most challenging thing about being on that show? the reality portion, the, the, the quote-unquote reality portion of the, the, the television program. I guess maybe younger in my way of thinking was dance has been my life for the longest time and it wasn't just a portion of it. And I felt that categorizing people, I know that they had to for the show's purpose, but like categorizing people as especially trained dancers and studio dancers, it's like I'm not just a contemporary dancer. I'm not just, and that was the point. It was like, 
I wanted to do all the styles so that I can continue to evolve, right? Meaning like the B-boys would get more respect, which I understand and I totally give respect for them to be able to do a contemporary dance because they're not trained, but it wouldn't be the same vice versa sometimes. I would say playing to the masses when it came to certain things um, and how that people would be received, editing things that I was bothered with what you felt was favoritism again, cause you're so immersed and evolved and involved in everything and you're living with everybody. And then it's just, it's a lot. So like, it's interesting to how to, how to navigate, how to be a normal person within that constructs of being in a competition. Right. And was it more, I guess it was like the behind the scenes stuff that they filmed. Did they kind of manufacture some of that? I don't say, I wouldn't say they manufactured. It was just, it was about what was, what was chosen to be aired. You know, so I can't say it was manufactured because things were done. But when you see something out of context or put something in another context or not getting a good idea of what that, where that's coming from, and then it's perceived as in, I don't know, Lisa's the bitchy one. Was that your reputation on the show? Well, there was, a, there was one particular one that I definitely remember having words with the director and the camera team and being like, this was not edited properly. You made me sound like I was like this snooty know-it-all and I have none of that. <laughs> And then like some other voting things that I was told, but you know, that's the name of the game. That's the way it goes. Yeah. But you you got to work with some amazing choreographers. The most amazing experience ever. Like to be able to do it, to be able to stay on the show for as long as I did for one so that I was able to do as many styles as I did was awesome. So I got to work with a humongous range of big choreographers and nice styles of dance and trying to sort of master it in a very short amount of time you know, with a new partner and all these extra variables that come in to sort of make the task even more difficult, which was, I loved. It was my favorite part of the whole show. (laughs) What was your favorite dance style? Or was there a style that was a little bit out of your comfort zone? I like to honor styles. So I think maybe would be more on my personal perception of how I've done, but like as a, as a classically trained dancer, meaning ballet, tap, jazz, that kind of dancer going into ballroom. Yes, you have some of the poise, but I was so wanting it to be that thing I was telling you about, like not to peg me as a ballet dancer. I should be able to mold into this ballroom dancer. Like that was thing. like, I don't want it to be like, Oh, well she did well for a jazz dancer. I want it to be like, Whoa, she's not a ballroom dancer. That's the response I want. That for me, for my personal struggle, it was to fight to be like, I, you should not be able to tell where my first started from. I want it to be that versatile, that malleable, that well-received. That was my personal goal. So I could say that the ballroom, it didn't stick as easily in my brain when it came to choreography. And again, like I said, just trying to be that, that essence of that true ballroom dancers that you would see in those amazing competitions, you know? Yeah, that show, it does categorize the dancers, whereas, you know, you got trained in everything. Do you think you're more one over the other? I have preferences for sure. And I have things that I, um, I'm really great at, I guess. And I would definitely say that more of the contemporary, you know, classically trained. That's where my first love is for sure. But hip hop and street style is a whole other element that has so many variables of styles within that which is also another love which I found after 18 when I literally stopped doing the classical styles because I wanted to get out of looking like a ballerina doing (laughs) hip-hop so so I did break dancing popping 
was involving myself in whacking and voguing and house dancing and and salsa and all of those other things that you go through so like all of it was a part of the art so for me the more amount of knowledge I could gain the better dancer and therefore better teacher better performer I will be in the end it's always knowledge right so for me I was I'm addicted to that I'm addicted to more stuff different ways of moving and longevity of the body also so so getting to work with uh, so many different amazing choreographers who are some of your favorites and what key lessons did you learn from them I would say two for me mainly that I can think of on the top of my head right now. Luther Brown for hip hop. One of my favorite things when I first saw his stuff when I was younger was his formations and his uh, rawness to the style of hip hop. For a person who literally felt movement and, and just let it come out of his body. That for me at all on its own is inspiring. So when I got to see his progression within his own evolution of his own art and being able to witness and, and practice with him every once in a while was really, really uh, difficult too because he's strict, you know, especially, especially back in the day when you're, you're trying to push so hard for your vision to come to light, you know, and obviously it worked out for him, like, you know what I mean? So like the point is that he, his, his whole story from beginning to end, like his rags to riches sort of story is like, it's beautiful and he's creative and he hears music really beautifully and he has a great love for it of the hip hop culture period. He pushed um, to me a way of finding that in Canada in particular, that masculine drive within the female as a performer, because it, especially now like that it's different. Like you have the, the girly hip hop where it's about the booty and the heels and the hair and the this and the that. And for me, like hip, hip, his hip hop was, it was about the dance. So that to get to do that was awesome for me. Again, everything about it was a transitional, his creativity, his ideas, how he comes up with his ideas, how he actually moves, musicality, love, 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 everything about that. And for contemporary, for me, I would say the biggest initiator for me was uh, Linda Garneau. She has this also really great musicality, but this wonderful way of fusing your technique with raw emotion, with no technique, with being able to tell a story really complete from beginning to end and for you to get it as an audience member. And she's really genuine about how, or really authentic about how things, and very organic, sorry, even about how things come out and how she collaborates and works with whoever she's creating on. All of it's like very warm and open and giving and supportive and unity. So it's almost a mix of both, like of one that was really strong and hard, but still loving. And the other one was softer, hard and still loving, but really different creative aspects and really brilliant in their own ways and fusing those two choreographers together for me is one of my biggest inspirations with all the other people I've taken class from or workshops from like about body movement would have been Peter Chu his his understanding of detail and articulation in the spine and movement also Mia Michaels in my younger years her her movement was was also raw and came from a very guttural emotional dark and light place to do at the same time, which I really enjoyed about her, especially in the very beginning of her stardom. Love Teddy Florence, his linear lines, his expression of movement, how he feels the movement and how liquidy and 
and smooth snake-like movement. It's very interesting to try and get that that feel of his his natural movement. It's all of it, yeah. All of it sort of starts to melt together into some boiling pot that makes it, you know, eventually figure out who you are as a dancer and a choreographer too. Yeah, I think with any kind of art, we take all of our influences and we get like a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and that what that's what makes every artist very unique in their own way. I agree. Yeah. So, what opportunities came from? So you think you can dance? We did our tour after, which was great. Well received. I, I don't know if we were the only ones that did a tour. There's one other ones that did a tour, but either way, it was a lot of fun to be able to do those numbers and to feel the love from everybody else. But okay, did a little bit more film stuff after, uh, besides those industrial gigs that I was talking about earlier that come up every once in a while. Uh, was one of the nurses in Silent Hill 2. Was sh- Shall We Dance before So You Think You Could Dance? Yep, Shall We Dance was before. It was right after Lion King. We did like this club scene in there, which was a lot of fun. I did the Raptors also. It was a dan- part of the Raptors for a couple years. Theater stuff, not as much. Did a lot of Linda shows, which are the integration and evolve. She had a lot of uh, live theater, live performances, which I've done a lot of, which one of my favorites to do. And then there's the Rocky Horror Picture Show remake. Yep. So that was on television. That was in 2016. It's probably on DVD right now with uh, Laverne Cox, Victoria Justice, Christina Milan, Reeve Carney, and is that Reeve? Reeve. Sorry, Reeve. Apologies for the last name. And um, Ryan. Awesome. A lot of fun to be a part of that production. Kenny Ortega is one who directed it, and Tony Testa was a choreographer. He's also really brilliant, really awesome. Kenny Ortega is an inspiration on its own. Kenny Ortega has done so much. Yeah, that was a dream come true, that's for sure, just to be able to work with all those people and the dancers that were hired for that gig was, was brilliant, musicians included. And yeah, and like Dirty Dancing being one of my all-time favorite movies, like just to be able to work with him was <laughs> amazing. Yeah, so like it's, it's, inter- it's interesting too, like the people that you cross paths with within this too, like um, for Game of Thrones, uh, what's his name, Snow, he was in Silent Hill too as one of the actors, I think that was one of his first first big, big gigs. And being able to meet him before that and like having that memory, it's very cool. It's neat to have those like crossovers. Um, I did a couple of things with uh, this past uh, summer that will be coming out. I think it's the second season. In the Shadows, that like sort of Australian comedic dark comedy, there's like this one scene that I'm in. Another one is In the Tall Grass. It's like a Stephen King thing that will be coming out on Netflix. So we play one of these very cool things. I did a a Star Trek. I'm one of the Kelpians in uh, a couple of the episodes. The new Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, so it's a lot of like film stuff, film dance stuff sort of related. Uh, Recently, a lot of choreography. I just recently finished choreographing Once on this Island, which a play, sorry, being done at Laura Ossington Theatre in Toronto that had finished running uh, on March 3rd, which was sort of like a Caribbean story about sort of like the Little Mermaid, a little bit more of like that... The, the, the rich prince and the one that the, the one that comes from a poor land it's sort of like race color that hierarchy of things it was really pretty and brilliant and well done so that was awesome yeah so just I'm a busy body I'm, my, my hands are in a lot of pots <laughs> is acting something you want to pursue more or is it more if it's only part of a dance thing um would love to it's just a matter of trying to find the time to you know, besides training on my own is to sort of get myself more involved into, I feel like I need a workshop or a, like a, 
sort of an intensive just to sort of get myself back in touch with the basses and then start redeveloping that skill. Cool. And you've done a lot of music videos. I have done a couple. Yeah, that's for sure. Is that where you get to dance a bit more hip hop and, and contemporary type stuff? Yeah, it's usually street style dance or something more creative, which would be the contemporary. So it's one of the two. But yeah, for sure. Sean Desmond did a couple for him. I, the, his were more of a blend of both, to be real, when it comes to dance styles. Janelle Monet danced live for her at one of the Fashion Cares, which was awesome. Acrecia uh, Turner did one of her videos, which some foam, foam party dance party, which was cool. Uh, Cascada, back in the day, that was a fun one that we did on a on a school bus that sort of drove around Toronto and then we went into some club. That was a good, lot of fun, that video shoot. So what are some of the challenges that you faced along the way in your career? Okay, so I moved out when I was fairly young. I would say mainly the cost of sustaining and maintaining your training. If you don't necessarily have the monetary help that would be would make that an easier transition. So uh, they like trying to find that balance between work and training and keeping relevant and not losing that drive and the passion to not get jaded because of the hard work that it truly does require to be self-sufficient and self-employed and always sort of in that uh, 50-50 realm of getting that thick skin and knowing that you get good enough and you work hard enough, you, you will get what you need and what, what what's supposed to come will come. And later on in life, maybe because of the television portion being more predominant later on, finding a place where I sit when it comes to my my color, to be real. I have a shade that's like in between what they would classify in television terms, in my opinion. Obviously, it it is changing, but it's still there. Is that I'm like not black enough and I'm not light enough. You know, so I sit in this in-between where I could look like something, but don't. I look way younger than my age, but can't really go for the young stuff. If I want to do something like bold and dramatic, like my hair is now, it sort of gets put into a category because now I'm no longer the traditional black girl because you're not seeing natural curly black hair. So there's like a weird, a weird place that you sit when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, so it's a lot about what you look like and how you present yourself then the talent and the gifts and the s- skills. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, the one that you try to navigate. And sometimes you just got to choose. You just got to choose. This, this is what I want. And my, my goal now is just to be good enough that it doesn't matter. <laughs> so like, that's just the goal. So regardless of what the situation is, and it does happen every once in a while that you feel like, Oh, I, like it's happened where I can't get like even when I was seventeen, I auditioned for Tokyo Disney, made it to the very end, was signing contracts and all, and then I find out that they don't hire color people unless they're singers. Wow, <laughs> wow. No, <laughs> like, but why did I? Why did you make me go through that whole process of taking my measurements and all? Like, why? Yeah. Bother? You know what I mean? Like, there's certain things. There's like, even if that is what you're you're asking for, and then then be clear in your breakdown when you're sending it out. Look, because you. Can be and it's it may sound rude but at least it will not waste my day <laughs> like i know what you're looking for i don't fall into these specs okay can't go to this audition fine yeah next <laughs> yeah exactly so there have been there have been moments you know but you like i said you have to get a thick skin when it comes to this this type of industry and 
know how to deal with that rejection um, gracefully and learn from it because it's, you know, sometimes, especially when you're younger, you take it a little bit more personal and it feels like it's an attack on you personally, not on the bigger picture of what's actually happening in the society or what they need for this particular product or who they're selling it to for that matter, you know? So yeah, it's learning, but that I would say those were the, the hardest lessons for me was about the balancing of your finances, really learning how to work that for yourself and, and the color for me every once in a while. For um, finances, like how do you handle the times in between jobs? That would be me teaching. Yeah. So teaching for me is sort of like my everyday, it pays my bills and pays my rent. All the other extra gigs are the extra things that I, you know, need to take care of and uh, putting money back into my arts, training, classes, workshops, etc. Right. What advice do you have for aspiring performers? I would say... To find as many different styles of teachers as you can, to learn from everybody you can, try your hardest not to have an ego um, in the negative sense of the word. You need an ego to have your self-identity, but I mean, in a negative sense of the word where it makes you feel like you're not good enough, that type of ego. I say try and surround yourself with like-minded individuals when it comes to your aspirations for this career that if you do and when you do I should say (laughs) when you do get to those lows the not knowing is to remind yourself of the why to be real to remind yourself of why you started um, why you chose this particular path knowing it's going to be difficult but most artists that I know don't like easy things as even if they want to, they don't, they like a little bit of drama. (laughs) That's what we do. (laughs) We sort of create it for ourselves and we need to remind ourselves that that's what we created. Yeah. We get bored if it's all too easy. (laughs) We do. Right. And we need to remind ourselves this is why. So the challenges are always helpful, even if they're really, really difficult. And if you stick to it and you honestly keep, keep being mindful of what your body needs pay attention. If vocalist, actor, dancer, doesn't matter, pay attention to what you need. If you need to sleep, you need to sleep. If you need a day off, you need to take that day off. Like you need to really, really be mindful of what it is and listen to yourself. Yeah. Self-care is important because sometimes when you're striving for a goal, that's, you're just clear focused and you want to work long days and, and for dancers, you might injure yourself if you're pushing yourself too hard that way. Absolutely. That you need that that downtime to decompress, to relax, to let it absorb even, let it marinate and digest and download everything you've already received in these times. So we need to just check back in every once in a while. Yeah. And any advice for people of color or women um, in their managing your career, their careers so that they maybe avoid some of the challenges that you had? I want to say this advice with a very sensitive way because it, depending on where the person is that receives this information, it can be taken too far. There is a point of being able to speak up and knowing how to speak up respectfully and knowing when to speak, period. And I know that sounds, 
could sound a little harsh about when to speak, but there is a tact and there is a timing and it doesn't mean that you need to remain silent with something that is making you uncomfortable, but there is an appropriate way to approach everything. And my biggest thing is don't, do not be silent. If you, if you're coming from a sound place and it's justified and you understand what it is that is either triggering you or not, that it's not reactive because we will not, we couldn't learn this way, but you'll have harsher lessons. <laughs> it's fine. You will have harsher lessons, but it's okay. But I, I, my biggest thing was I was very quiet as a child. And when I got that chance to really speak when I was in my early, sorry, my late teens, some of that backfired because I wanted so much truth to be out that sometimes delivering that in the way I delivered it was not helpful, even though it was just, it still was not helpful. So I had to learn how to curb the other side of the explosion of me being quiet for so many years and, and having that come out in a way that wasn't balanced enough. So sometimes it created rifts and situations where things could have been avoided. And in retrospect, having those situations happen later now, I have a better handle of how to grasp those personalities that are literally swearing and screaming at you in front of clients. And you're wondering what the heck is going on? What's wrong with this person? This person's cuckoo. Nobody's seeing this and nobody's saying anything. And you feel personally attacked, belittled, all of those negative feelings that come with that stuff. But learning how to deal with that and realizing what the actual thing is and just hearing what's being said, taking away some of the emotion and then addressing it later is way better than you just reacting and responding. I know it's easier said than done, but that would be my biggest my biggest thing is do not be quiet, but remember how to speak to people and remember where it's coming from. Everybody has their own stuff to deal with and they don't always deal with it properly. No matter if they're in the higher ups or the lower, it does not matter. So you need to treat people exactly the way that you'd like to be received and how you want to be retreated. Right. I relate to that 100% because I was the same way. I was very quiet as a kid and you just kind of, you know, keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Don't want any, Don't want to rock the boat. And then when... I don't know, something snaps in you and you're like, yep. then all of a sudden you're on a curate that you're like, I'm going to speak out against Every, everything. Exactly. <laughs> Did you just say that? <laughs> and then, yeah, then you got to rein it in. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a Sagittarius and apparently we're known for being very blunt. <laughs> Funny, yeah, I am, I'm a Pisces, but my moon is in Gemini. So Geminis are very, very sharp with their tongues. So... <laughs> We just, I don't know, we're just honest. <laughs> True, and sometimes, right? Like, even though it's just, you just be like, oh, Lisa, not yeah. the right to do it. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you kind of need to go through that to learn the lesson. You do. Well, I did anyways. I did. Yeah. I find empathy is a really good thing because if you get to a point where even though someone's yelling at you in front of people, you have to kind of somehow figure out where they're coming from. Don't take it personally. Try to figure out how to maneuver that and get your point across without stooping to their level, I guess. Right, or raising to that high energy of, we didn't actually need to go to a level 12. We could have stayed at a level five and been okay. <laughs> that would be my biggest lessons for sure. And keep at it, man. Just keep at it. It's one thing to say, don't give up. No matter what, just keep at it because you never know when that that next person that you meet at the next gig or will introduce you to somebody else that introduce you to somebody else. Hence, how we're in this podcast right now, you know, so you just never know. <laughs> yeah, the, the importance of relationships. Yeah, stay open and, 
and communicate and be willing to share an experience, even if it feels out of your comfort zone in some areas. I think it's necessary. Yeah. If someone was just starting out, you know, the business is all about who you know, but what if you don't know anyone? Do you have any advice for starting to kind of get into the scene? Um, okay. I would say, well, for one, depends on your age. Uh, not that age matters, just depends on where you would start in the where you want to approach. So like if you're young, like young meaning a child to, I don't know, let's say 18 years old or 17, let's say before you get out of high school, they have community programs, I'm sure, that have dance if that's what you want to do. They have uh, community theater also that you can go into. Um, I'm sure in some schools they have extracurricular things that some kids are probably either can't go to. I don't know if there's extra money. I don't know how schools go, but there are things that there are available to them that sometimes they're just afraid to experience because they may be the only one out of their friends that want to do it, but I encourage them just do it. And then there are open studios that have open classes within the studio. Doesn't matter the age, generally speaking. Uh, If you're an adult, um, I would say get yourself into open classes, beginner open classes. And depending on if you want to do street style, like get yourself involved in music video type of dancing uh that's street style so go to any studio that op- offers hip-hop or street style hip-hop house dance hall ragged whacking house any of these things that that are now uh, up and popular for the mainstream of hip-hop and also get yourself out to the involved in the scene when it comes to hip-hop which is going to hip-hop nights going to maybe some break dancing battles, look up things that they have around the city too, because they have like some open things around every once in a while. They have uh, mini competitions, I'm sure. I think the Rising Star still does some stuff too. Like if you already naturally have some sort of talent, get yourself out there and just try and get more experience on stage or just performing for people, even if you can't really go out and do anything. Uh, If you can't afford anything to go, there's a lot of YouTube things too that will break things down and offer, you know, I don't know, they'll have like, Break down Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation video. I'm sure there's stuff like that online. That I've watched all of those. <laughs> I'm all about Janet Jackson moves. Right? <laughs> so you, there's still references if you don't have any actual money to participate in things like that. There's still things available where you can learn that way. And then there's like open things that a lot of things, a lot, a lot of festivals and dance things happen in, sorry, happen in the summer in Toronto in particular. So, and lots of stuff on the street. Like you have a lot of street dancers in the summer too. Like go up to the street dancers and ask them, Hey, where do you train? There's a lot of people that train in different areas and they're like, it's free for all. You can just come and go. Like that's how I started learning when I was 18. They used to have a spot at the Grange back in the day, um, just in, in their gymnasium and just a whole bunch of B-boys would go in and just practice and you could just go and just sort of visually learn. You could ask if you wanted to, but that's how I learned. So you just have to sort of have the balls, so to speak, to and that gusto to just put yourself out there and find, find a way. There is a way. Find one. And so what are your future goals? You've accomplished so much. What are you working towards? I'm working towards the acting for sure to Uh, better my skills that way. I'm working on choreographing more for, in general, but expanding my skills choreographically for theater and still using my, uh, because I still choreograph for these competitive studios too, so that still gets used more. But the theater aspect of my choreography for like actual musical theater is a little bit different. I still, I work at a college too at Randolph. I work and I teach their highest jazz program, uh, jazz level, sorry, there at the program. So that's helping me expand on that aspect of my choreography. 
trying to get a little bit into voiceover work, actually spiritually developing. Those are my goals right now. (laughs) You got to have personal goals too. (laughs) And what is your why? Why do you do what you do? It is this warmth and release that dance gives me, uh, especially when I'm in movement. It's a cathartic, therapeutic way for me to get things out from my first way of being, which was we didn't speak. You know, everything was either, you know, through emotion, crying, body language, knowing, timing, right, from that infancy. So for me, this this whole dance thing is that connection back to myself and reminding myself of my actual vessel that I'm in because I'm a little bit, you know, out there when it comes to spirituality. (laughs) So like reminding myself of my body and the importance of it and how it feels to move and that muscle pain and strain, that love I have for it, that creating and learning and sorry, yeah, creating and learning through my body, hearing music differently because of dance, having different associations with it. It just, it's, it's an all-encompassing part of allowing myself to be myself. That is the why. It is, it is no longer uh, a thing I learned or a craft or a skill that is uh, something I do. It is, it is now a part of my being that I can no longer categorize it as a job or I, I don't know. It is, it is, it is, it, is, it just is. <laughs> part of who you are. Yeah, it just what it feels like. I know that it's not me, but it 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 is definitely a part of my person and and a way I use to speak some of the things that I don't necessarily get a chance to speak for one and being able to have a piece of music that will beautifully depict that through the lyrics and then having my body being able to express that and then having both come together. It's this woo, this instant rush of a surge of love. That's what it feels like. Big surges of love. Wow. Yeah. It's really, yeah. And it hasn't really changed. It just keeps evolving as I get older, which I'm fairly surprised to be real. And so where can people find you online? On Instagram. I'm not that great at posting because I'm the worst with this whole social media, not stuff, but yeah, Instagram would probably be the easiest. I post most things there. I'm not on Facebook. My uh, website is on my Instagram account anyway. So and yeah, so I'm not really teaching open classes at the moment in this in this city. I'm like I said, I'm teaching at the Randolph College program, and I teach at private studios, uh, one in Mississauga, one in Vaughan. Cool. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had fun. It was so great to get to know Lisa a bit and have her share her experiences and advice with us. For detailed show notes and links, visit dianefoy.com slash zero one zero. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. 